You're listening to Trouble with the Truth, a podcast about journalists in danger and the stories that get them in trouble. I'm your host, Lana Estimirova. From Grodno to Minsk, thousands of protesters are waving white and red flags, chanting in unison, Jive Belarus. It means long live Belarus. A monumental protest movement has erupted in the country in the wake of rigged presidential election results. Alexander Lukashenko, who has been in power for 26 years, claimed victory with 80% of the vote. His main opponent, Svetlana Tsikhanovskaya, who stepped into the presidential race in place of her imprisoned blogger husband, received a mere 9.9%. The protests began peacefully, but soon turned into a circus of horror and abuse. Riot police swept through the streets, beating up and arresting thousands. There's been harrowing reports of torture and rape in detention centers, and at least two people have lost their lives. Svetlana Tikhanovskaya has been forced to flee to Lithuania, but continues to encourage protesters not to give up, despite threats against her family. The government has used extreme violence, blocked the internet, and now tries to placate the protesters, but they make one thing clear, Lukashenko must go. Is this the end of the last dictatorship in Europe? On Friday, I spoke with Maria Sadovskaya Komlich about the protests in Belarus, the police violence, and what the response from the international community should be. Maria is a Belarusian media analyst who specializes on international affairs and the European Union. Before, the polling stations did not allow too many independent observers and no, almost no international observers. So the voters came to demand transparency and to show them real protocols of voting as they were expecting that the votes would be rigged in favor of the incumbent presidents. And indeed, on quite many polling stations being forced by people who voted, the commissions showed them the results where the Opposition leader Svetlana Tikhanovskaya won many more votes than uh, Lukashenko. But then the Monday morning official preliminary result uh, declared that Lukashenko got 80%. And then still on Sunday, the official pro-state exit poll also claimed he got 79% of vote. Predictably, that didn't make people happy. They came into the streets peacefully to protest against what they think was unfair vote count. The president before that day warned them not to come into the streets because he would want do anything to so-called stop the fire from burning in the Minsk streets. So the protesters were met with a very brutal police force. The police on different days of protests used rubber bullets, stun grenades, uh, uh, water cannon, and in one, at least in one case, the live ammunition against the protesters. One person died on 10th of August. Um, and then the accounts of people who were detained in Southerns also say that after people were severely beaten up and detained, they also experienced different type of physical and psychological torture. Uh, 
Still, people continued going into the streets and not into the city center like before they would do, for example, in 2006 or 2010, but they started staging peaceful protests demanding to stop violence and to recount the votes near their houses, near their offices, near the metro stations, everywhere, all over the country which is something that authorities, I think, were not really ready for or didn't expect. And after a couple of days of such protests, two groups of people who, I think, never were that public after elections joined the protests openly. These were the workers of uh, biggest plants and factories all over the country, and these were doctors who actually had to treat these victims of brutal torture and beatings and who said, stopped the violence and went out openly. They were also supported by female protests, women dressing in white, coming into the streets with flowers and showing themselves to the police, okay, come arrest us, beat us, if you think you're courageous enough. So this is what has been happening in Belarus. Despite all of this, combined with internet shutdown, combined with... Uh, journalists being targeted and their equipment destroyed uh, to prevent them from filming uh, the events. People continue going out in the streets and do it right now when we're speaking. And where is Lukashenko at the moment? Um, Has he been present at all for the past few days? Uh, What's he saying about the situation in the country? Well, it is not unusual for the Belarusian well, president, we can call him this way, um, the incumbent ruler of Belarus, to uh, disappear for a while uh, during election protests. In 2006, there were also rumors what happened to him. Did he emigrate? Did he get a sick or something like that for several days? And this is more or less what has been happening right now. As of now, he uh, was never filmed speaking about the protests directly. The state TV showed one video where he was speaking about some people, that these people are drug users and former criminals and should all get a job. But there was no reference like these people who came out in the streets on 10 August 2020. And then today, the state agency is spreading his quote that I'm still alive and I'm not abroad. But Again, as of now, he has not been televised. He has not been shown like saying that. I don't think it necessarily means that he's somewhere abroad. It has been his tactics. No one really understands why to not be public. But of course, the government officials since yesterday took a different approach. Yesterday, the Minister of Internal Affairs semi-apologized for the excessive violence. He spoke on the state TV. The um, head of the upper chamber of the parliament, Mrs. Kachanova, who is usually sent by Lukashenko to apologize for anyone who is hurt. She didn't apologize this time, actually, but she said that Alexander Lukashenko heard the voices of the workers' collectives and asked as they say in Russian, to really delve into the issue. So it seems they're preparing for some uh, maybe appeal to the nation by the president quite soon. You mentioned before uh, the very impressive factory strikes and uh, workers who normally comprise uh, Lukashenko's base now are openly going on the streets and protesting. So... Lukashenko can't exactly claim this image 
of the man of the people, as he usually does. And at the same time, uh, we've been seeing videos of policemen and army officers quitting their jobs and posting on social media and burning their uniforms. And there's been some high-profile resignations from pro-state journalists. It's very difficult to predict the future in these very uneasy circumstances when there's such an unrest on the streets. Do you think Lukashenko can hang on to his power or do you think things can change? Well, first of all, I would be very, very careful when trying to assess the user-generated content on social media. Yes, we saw some people dressed as policemen or law enforcement who claimed mm-hmm. that they burn their own clothes. But we don't know if these are real people. No one has fast-checked it as of now. And we don't know if this is not a way for someone to wage an information warfare, maybe against the regime. Nothing bad about mm-hmm. that. But that is not yet an established fact for each and every case. The same with the strikes. As of now, there has not been official strike at any of the enterprises. People are mostly gathering at allowed breaks, lunch breaks or other times to express their dissatisfaction. The factories do not stop, but they indeed announce that they may start a strike very soon if their demands are not met. And this is a very important element about the Belarusian protest because people are trying to use all the legal ways first. They don't want immediately to go to the confrontation stage. And it's not necessarily that these people were the base of Lukashenko and now suddenly their eyes have opened. I'm quite sure that among these people, there were many opponents of Lukashenko before, but they didn't feel it was a right time for them to speak up. Maybe it was a factor of fear. Maybe it was a factor of uh, more or less happiness with the peace and stability that Lukashenko brought to the country, according to them, comparing to Ukraine, to Georgia, to even Armenia and Azerbaijan, right? Other post-Soviet Eastern European countries. Mm. But this time it's different uh, because, well, first of all, violence has come into the streets of every city. So the social contract is broken. Uh, Lukashenko could not guarantee this peace that he promised for so long. And then, of course, economy is not very good. The COVID has influenced certain things. So therefore, it's for the first time we cannot predict whether the uh, base that traditionally didn't object to Lukashenko being re-elected, even if the vote count may not be so fair, uh, would agree to accept it again. You mentioned before uh, that We don't know exactly whether these police officers or army officers quit their jobs. And when a protest like this happens and everyone is bombarded uh, by video clips and um, phone recordings and tweets, um, there is just kind of this ocean of information. Uh, How do you find truth as a journalist and what are the challenges well, I think the first and most important thing is to indeed uh, subscribe to the channels of journalists and media and uh, uh, be very careful when a Telegram channel or other uh, social media account posing as a media outlet, which is not a media outlet, doesn't have fact-checking procedure, doesn't have code of ethics, yeah. informs about something as a fact. They may tell the truth, they may not. 
So for journalists, of course, it's very difficult, so especially when for three days internet was heavily limited. It was impossible to actually reach out to someone and say, hey, you know, did it really happen to you? And then when it is posted by these Telegram channels, they also, of course, protecting the sources, do not say who actually sent this video to them. Sometimes there are names and surnames of people. Journalists uh, uh, try to at least warn people, look, we don't have this information verified and confirmed yet. And when they do verify and confirm, they later on update it, look, we already have this claim verified. So they do this minimum hygiene check right now, but they're very limited in access to information because at the same time they're arrested, they're detained, they're attacked in the streets. And of course, everyone waits from them to be present everywhere when things are happening. And now things are happening all over the country. So it is a very difficult time for journalists. I think there have been at least 54 cases of detentions of journalists in the last three to four days. You can imagine how difficult it is for them. Yeah, absolutely. And we've also had some reports, some harrowing reports uh, from journalists who have been beaten and detained by Amon Belarusian special forces. What are they saying about the treatment of prisoners and what's actually happening in Belarusian prisons at the moment? Most of the accounts of the people who have uh, been released recently from the detention centers are uh, in this or that way mentioning that people were denied water and food for a long time, were put into the very cramped cells, uh, like uh, 50 people in a cell for 10 people and so on. Some of them had to spend the first night in the backyard face down because there were no spaces. Many accounts of torture are also shared. Some people also sharing uh, the... uh, their injuries, the photos of the injuries, or some other people recorded all this screaming, which was happening the whole night in the dissension center. Obviously, people were beaten. At the same time, that was not universally applied towards all detained. In some other places, like in Jordina, uh, people say, well, yeah, we had lack of access to food or water a little bit, but we were not beaten, for example. So it is also very important, I think, for now to collect this evidence. And this is what human rights defenders are doing now, nonstop, collecting the evidence, contacting the victims, preparing the cases for trials, for criminal case investigation, for proper investigation of this, of what has been happening in these detention centers. And yes, of course, journalists are also part of that. Some of them were beaten, some of them observed as the people being uh, beaten or tortured. So it is very important for them to be part of this process. And I know that the Belarusian Association of Journalists, the Independent Association of Journalists, has already signed a joint statement with several human rights defenders organizations appealing to the authorities to really investigate these cases. I wanted to talk more about Svetlana Tikhanovskaya as well. Um, She released a video a few days ago uh, in which she was visibly distressed and it was quite clear that she recorded it under a tremendous pressure and she called for people to kind of stop protesting. Um, Do we know what's happening with her right now? We know that she is in Lithuania and what's going on with her team 
Well, uh, of course, uh, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, especially in the video, which uh, was uh, most probably recorded inside the Central Election Commission building where mm-hmm. she was held for several hours without access to her lawyer before she went abroad. Um, she read it from the paper. It was clear that someone wrote it to her for her. And it was clear she was under huge distress when she recorded this and probably the second video. So indeed, she's now in Lithuania. As far as I know, Lithuania demands uh, for anyone from abroad, uh, from risk countries, to have a 14-day quarantine. So I assume she is actually being stuck now in some apartment, which the government confirmed, the government of Lithuania, they gave to her. At the same time, she just today, she sent a new video where she has uh, asked uh, all the local authorities in Belarus to organize legal demonstrations and meetings in the next uh, weekend. She also announced that in the places where the commissions fairly counted her uh, votes, her support was 60 to 70 percent and somewhere in the up to 90 percent. So she said, look, the population doesn't trust the results announced by the Central Election Committee, but please stop showing violence, organized, allowed gatherings come to the dialogue, allow this mass gatherings and start talking. And she also thanked all the workers of the plants who actually uh, came out. And she thanked the police who uh, decided not to follow in the orders uh, to suppress the riots. So Tikhanovska is back with her usual video style. And she's understood that people uh, understood the circumstances under which she had to record these previous two videos. Kalesnikova, the representative of Viktor Babarika's um, team, who is also part of this team of Tsihanovska, also recorded uh, a video today. So they're back, basically, with the public policy statements, despite the fact that, according to the lawyers of Viktor Babarika, they haven't seen him alive since 7th of August and they're not provided access to him, they cannot talk to him, and they don't know about his personal whereabouts. And despite the fact that some other people who seem to be related to the team of Babarika have been uh, arrested, and yesterday the state news agency even published a video of one of them presumably admitting some Russian money sponsoring his activity. This video has been deleted today. So this is the status quo. I think Tsihanovskaya will not uh, disappear from the political scene as soon as the government may have hoped for. Uh, it must be very reassuring for the protesters seeing Tsihanovskaya speak again and Kolesnikova as well, that she didn't just kind of hide away and just... Uh, yeah, I was just uh, going to share with you later the link to this video because it was posted like an hour ago and it has already 84,000 views. Wow. And the comments are actually very positive, saying you're our elected president, we're waiting for your inauguration. I have heard the, the speech of the president of Belarus. So she actually also used the fact that Lukashenko didn't dare to show himself on the video yet and uh, became the first. Yeah, I mean, you, if you supposedly win uh, an election fair and square, you should definitely make a statement at least. 
Yes, exactly. So anyway, I would say we don't know, of course, how it will un unfold. Right now, the government claims some things, for example, that everyone has been released, but people, especially from the regions, are sending accounts of uh, those who had been detained being sent to courts and getting these days in prison continuously. Some people even think maybe this 7,000 or whatever number of people was released because they just physically didn't have any space in the prison cells. So they kind of wanted to make it a win-win situation. We release them and we get space to put the next people we want to put into the jail. So it is not the end. It is just the beginning of the new stage and it's very unclear. But I think what is really important is that the authorities should finally allow people to tell about it, to make streams, to make videos, to write text, and especially journalists, they should be enabled to do their normal fact-checking work, to keep the standards, and to pre prevent propaganda from spreading from all the sides. Uh, Maria, this is by no means is a typical situation for Belarus. Uh, and unlike unlike with some other presidential elections. So the EU leaders didn't rush to congratulate Lukashenko with his new presidency. President of Lithuania, Gitinas Nausėda, had some serious words to say. He said that the relationship between Belarus and Lithuania cannot go on as normal. And there's going to be an EU video conference where foreign ministers will discuss the possible sanctions. But there's always a debate surrounding sanctions. How do you kind of punish a country for wrongdoings? Because there are some concerns that economic sanctions will damage ordinary Belarusians and push Belarus closer to Russia. And we know that Belarus is in this kind of precarious situation where it can't just reject Russia, but at the same time, you know, Many people want to be close to the EU. What do you think is the best scenario for Belarus in this kind of geopolitical sense? Well, of course, it seems logical that it is in the Russia's interest to uh, let Belarus, uh, to let Belarusian government, to uh, violently suppress the protest and spoil its relations with the West so that then the Russian government could finally force on Belarus some closer integration uh, in exchange for economic support. Uh, but I think that actually some uh, behind-the-scenes dialogue should be going between the so-called West and Lukashenko's administration all the time right now. Uh, I think it's not coincidental that this act of release of some detained people, televised speeches and other things is happening exactly before and on the day of the meeting of the EU Foreign Affairs Council. Uh, why the timing? Why not two days before? Why not one day later? You know, you could keep them in cells for one more day. So uh, I think Belarusian government is trying to trade in a less harsh approach of the European Union and possibly the United States than before. Speaking of sanctions, well, actually, the last uh, several years, when they were really applied to the Belaru to the Belarusian government, they never really touched the uh, common population. The last time the common the normal population really suffered from those sanctions was in the end of the nineties and beginning of two thousands, mm. when the EU really froze all the programs, all the relations, 
And then you never repeated these mistakes. The, the last 10 years or so of sanctions were always very targeted sanctions. We, and the target list of targeted people was uh, sometimes very, very long with all the judges who took the decisions uh, against the protesters and candidates with all the police uh, uh, chiefs and some people who run businesses who were considered close to Lukashenko and him personally. And usually these were two types of sanctions, asset freeze abroad and also uh, the ban on having any business with them by any foreign entities and uh, also personalized uh, travel sanctions. So I don't think that the EU, if at all it will decide to have any sanctions, will go any further than that. Uh, the Netherlands already claimed, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of the Netherlands, Steph Bloch, that it will insist that any restrictive measures should not indeed directly hit the Belarusian population. Mm, it's very important that the EU is thinking about the consequences uh, because Belarus is indeed in a very kind of difficult situation between uh, between two fires, you can say. Well, um, I wouldn't call uh, EU a fire or... Well, yeah, it's true. Matter. I think we have <laughs> one, one big fire in the East, in a way. We, yeah, and then we true. have uh, maybe a little bit of the cold uh, winter on the, on, on the West mm-hmm. because it's very, uh, the EU, of course, is also very busy with its own COVID agenda and some of its member states violating rule of law like Poland and Hungary. And the EU, unlike in some previous years, has in a way less credibility in teaching others how to do democracy when it has been yeah, exactly. Orban and its roles. Uh, I think it's uh, it's perfectly understood by the Belarusian government as well. But the economic tools, these are the ones that, of course, will hurt whether EU is democratic or not, because EU is the second largest export market for Belarus right now. I kind of wanted to finish off by asking you more of a personal question it must be a very difficult time for you as a belarusian who i'm sure loves her country and how do you kind of how do you feel when you look at what's happening in belarus and what are your hopes for the future well as a belarusian i hope that my country uh, will uh, be a, what our constitution writes uh Unitary, sovereign, democratic state, respecting the rights of all its citizens. It is very clear, and this is the dream I think everyone has in this or that way, uh, including me. When I look at what's happening, I try to apply here my professional judgment, and I try not to jump into conclusions too quickly, even if my like uh, human sides tells me to be uh, to believe something. Of course, I believe of what's happening in Belarus, but I understand that if Belarus is to come out of this uh, to some better shape. It will require dialogue and transition. It will require us maybe to talk to people who have been saying brutal things and doing brutal things to people. Look at Poland's experience. Look, Jaruzelski has never been tried. When he died, he actually was buried with honors. Despite all the things he did during uh, the martial law in Poland. Therefore, I'm uh, hoping that the peaceful solution is possible and I'm very realistic that the people we will be talking to are maybe the same people who are now holding the power. So we really need to think about things that can be uh, joint points for dialogue. And for me, for now, it is to investigate the 
um, repressions against the people who've peacefully protested and to bring the justice for free media and journalists and to stop blocking internet as the very minimum. Maria, thank you very much for this very informative interview and I wish you the best of luck and I have to say Zhive Belarus. Zhive Vietnam. This interview was recorded on 14th of August and there's been a few important developments since then. On Sunday, an estimated 200,000 people came out in Minsk. It was the largest demonstration in modern history of Belarus. On Monday, many factory workers staged a walkout from their workplaces. State TV followed suit and broadcasted an empty studio without hosts. Lukashenko was heckled with calls to resign when he attempted to address tractor factory workers. Across the political spectrum, people have united in revulsion at the scenes of police violence witnessed across the country. Svetlana Tikhonovskaya and her team proved to be resilient against all odds. Tikhonovskaya campaign manager Maria Moros is calling for a nationwide strike. Meanwhile, the UK rejected the fraudulent election results, while the EU is preparing a list of targeted sanctions. It's difficult to predict what will happen next, especially after Lukashenko's desperate attempt to seek help from the Kremlin. But over the past week, Belarusian protesters have taught the world a lesson in solidarity, unity and kindness. And we must keep paying attention.